from the land of the free and the home of the Chiefs. This is the Locked On Chiefs podcast. And welcome back to another episode of Locked On Chiefs. I am Chris Clark, and today with me I have a special guest in Matt Derrick. Chris, has been in forever since actually I've talked to you on the podcast because I've been on a, a schedule where it seems like I'm always talking to Ryan and you're not around. So this is this is good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's nice talking to you. It's been a while uh, for sure. Uh, real quick before we get started, uh, go check us out on the Himalaya podcast app. We are available there. We're also available on iTunes and uh, anywhere else you want to find a podcast pretty much, uh, Google Play as well. Today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there, do that, and get rewarded. Uh, anyway, Matt, let's get down to it. Uh, Ryan and I kind of touched, touched on this on Wednesday's show, but I uh, want to get your take on Chris Jones. Yeah, uh, it's no no surprise that he didn't show up for OTAs. Um, you know, with with the contract situation right now the way it is, um, the team did not expect him to be there. He is in Miami. He's continuing to work out on his own at the facility that he, the trainer that he works with down there. So uh, there really shouldn't be any major concerns. Now, would you like to have Chris Jones here because you are putting in a new defense? You got the new coordinator. You got a lot of new teammates to work with. Yeah, yeah, you would definitely like to have Jones here for it. Um, but it's no big, it's no big deal right now to, to this team and the organization. They know where he is. And they know what the contract situation is, and the players understand. They know that <clears> hey, <throat> Jones is looking for financial security. He's looking for his long-term deal. And and you and every year in OTAs you see it around the league. And don't look any further than Reuben Foster with Washington the other day. Yep. You're you're just one slip away from you know losing in in Jones's case, easily probably more than eighty million dollars. So there's no benefit for him to be out there right now. Yeah, no, and that's kind of what Ryan and I talked about on Wednesday's show. Um, we touched base on uh, him not being there and and whether or not we were worried about it, and both of us agreed. You know, it's one of those things. Like you said, we would love him to be there because they're putting in a new defense, they've got a new coordinator, they've got a new defensive line coach. Lots of things are going to change, but to me, as long as he's there for the first day of training camp, I think he'll be fine. Uh, Chris Jones has never been a guy that I was worried about knowing the uh, ins and outs of his position, uh, and so I'm not really worried about this situation at this point. Yeah, the only the only time that I would really, as a Chiefs fan, start to worry about is when you get to training camp and a deal isn't done and he's not there. Um, that's when it becomes problematic. And, you know, could it happen? I, I'm not going to say no, because there there are other factors here. And remember, I, I you know, I talked to a, you know, a former agent at the Combine, and, you know, this very scenario was, was brought up, that if the Chiefs went out and acquired a edge rusher, you know, if they signed a free agent or if they acquired via trade and signed a guy like Frank Clark, that it was going to put pressure on Chris Jones, because Jones has been the guy who's been here for you. He's He's been the one that's been producing. He's coming off a great year. So how can you go out and ask, you know, Chris Jones to play out his contract without an extension when you're giving money to somebody else? And it's only natural for for Jones to want that deal done. And is there a scenario where you get to training camp and he doesn't show up? Yeah, I mean, I could could definitely see it. Um, I think you just got to hope that both sides manage to reach a deal and, and that you get a contract extension done before you get to that point. Yeah, and I really think that they will get an extension done. I think that it's... Uh, you know, one thing Ryan and I talked about was it's possible that they're looking at, um, 
looking to use some of the money from Eric Berry, and maybe they're going to front load this deal. Um, maybe that's the way they're going to try to go with this. I mean, they have, uh, I think somewhere close to $20 million in cap space right now. Yeah. They've um, got, they've got the money and you got the Barry cap relief coming later too. So yeah, you've got, you got the ability to, to structure that contract just about any way that you want to. Right. And it's going to be more important to get that contract done now that you have, you know, have to push back Tyree kill because that was the contract they were working on. It sounded like at least to start with earlier in the off season. Uh, and then obviously all that situation happened and that's going to be put on the back burner until next year. But you can't go into the off season with Chris Jones not on a deal, on a new deal. And, uh, who knows what you're going to end up with Tyreek Hill for next year. And then you still have Patrick Mahomes, so you're going to want to extend in 28, in 2020. Yeah. I mean, and, and the leverage that Chris Jones has is that you don't want this to be a hold up this season. I mean, you don't want, you know, Chris Jones in a situation where he's holding out into the season, trying to get this done. And, you know, the Chiefs are swinging the, the franchise tag back at him. You know, you want to get this done because you think this is a Super Bowl season and you can't have Chris Jones on the sideline. You can't have that guy not out there and you can't have the drama. So that's why I I think for a lot of reasons they will get done as long as they can get to a price that everybody's happy with. But we all know that doesn't always happen. That's true. I just have a hard time and and maybe we'll see. Uh, I just have a hard time believing it's not going to get done before training camp. I just think that both sides want to get the deal, deal done and. Beach has shown that he wants to go out and sign his guys and get them done early. And I think Jones is one of his guys. And so I think this deal gets done. It'll be interesting to see if that changes uh, and we hear anymore. Because right now, there really hasn't been anything out there that I've heard on this contract extension. No, just I, I've heard just some whispers and things about what, you know, Jones may be looking for money-wise. And, you know, hey, if I'm him, sure, I'm, I'm saying give me the Frank Clark deal. I want $103 million in five years. And that's where I'd start if I were him. I don't think he'll probably get that, but you know, hey, if he gets within the ballpark of that, I think that's a pretty good deal for Christian. Well, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if he gets close to Frank Clark money because <clears throat> interior pressure is key in any defense, in my opinion. Um, and he is one of the best at it. Uh, and you know, he's got a guy like Aaron Donald who broke the bank last year, and I'm not saying he's going to break the bank. Like Donald did, but it wouldn't surprise me if he gets close. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, the thing is, is that if he goes out and has another season like he did last year, he is going to break the bank. I mean, that's you have a you know, say a fifteen sack season again or something close to that, then somebody would be willing to pay him the money. Now, yeah, you got the franchise tag to swing over him, but yeah, but you're not you're not going to really have that for next year when you're trying to pay Pat Mahomes. Exactly. And, I mean, and you want got, to save that got, for Hill too, or Fuller. Yeah, you've you've got a lot of things to worry about next year. Yep. So, got to get this deal done now, and I think it gets done. Uh, we'll see how that shakes out in the next couple of weeks. Um, I still think it's going to get done by training camp, and and hopefully, uh, we will be having you back on Matt to to talk about it once it gets done and talk about those numbers. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we have a little bit more to talk about when it gets to the offense. Today's show is brought to you by Grip6, where their goal is to literally make the best belt that's ever been made. Grip6 has a special offer for you at grip6.com slash lock. That's grip6.com slash lock, L-O-C-K-E. All right, so I've talked to Ryan about this ad nauseum. I want your opinion here. Uh, you look at what this Chiefs offense has, and let's just, for the plain devil's advocate for a moment, 
Uh, and I don't think this is going to happen, but let's assume Tyreek Hill's done for the year and not playing. Where do you go at, at wide receiver? I mean, you have Sammy Watkins, but he hasn't been somebody that has been reliable enough to stay healthy. Uh, and I think he's a good option. You have McCall Hardman, who I think is going to be a good player, but it's a lot to ask a receiver to step in the first year and produce and read the offense. Uh, and there's still question marks surrounding guys like Demarcus Robinson. Yeah, you know, actually I was talking with someone earlier today this, about this very topic and about whether the, the Chiefs might be interested in, in going after a, another veteran receiver that's out there or even trying to land somebody in a trade. And I can't rule that out. I mean, because you look at the rosters the way it's constituted right now, and uh, you're right. I mean, right now, I mean, if you had to go in with this lineup and, and assuming you did not have Tyreek Hill, yeah, you've got Sammy Watkins as, as basically your your every down guy. But I, I think you'd almost have to look at a rotation with everybody else and, and just filling in guys. Um, probably maybe there's not one player there that it's a, that's a hundred percent snaps per game guy, but you're, you've got three or four guys that you're rotating through there in very specific niche situations and certain routes. Um, cause I, I see McCole Hardman as being used a lot like Tyreek Hill was his rookie year. And that was not much in the first half of the season. It right. wasn't until he, he got the, the playbook down and he got some more routes under his belt that they really felt comfortable using him. And I think you're going to see Hartman kind of the same way. So, you know, could he be a guy that goes out there and, and plays every snap in week one? I don't think he's that guy. I mean, I think you're, you're just putting in him in there for specific packages. And the rest of the group, I feel like is kind of the same way. I mean, um, I don't know if there's any player that you've got outside of Watkins that you say is is right now in every down receiver because you're right. I mean, this is year three of thinking this is the year that Demarcus Robinson is going to break through, and he hasn't done it yet. And that doesn't mean that he won't. That doesn't mean that given the playing time and the opportunity that he can't do it. But right now, you can't bank on that because you haven't seen it yet. Well, so, and he's had key drops, too. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. and, and that's one of the reasons why he he didn't break through. He has been no higher than, you know, fourth in the depth chart. And this is his fourth year, isn't it? Yeah, it's his fourth year, but you know, it's, it's been, this is year three of, of the off season of saying this is the year right. that, that Demarcus Robinson's going to okay. break through. Yeah. Okay. I'm, no, I'm yeah nobody now. expected anything in year one, but now this is no. like three years of OTAs of everybody okay. saying, Oh wow, this is the year, you know, Demarcus Robinson looks great. This is the year. Right. Okay. I'm with you now. I was just a little confused. I was like, yeah. wait a yeah. second. This is. This is fourth year, I think. But, I, can ju- um, I can just go back to 2017, copy and paste, and slap it in there. No, and you're right, honestly, and and that's really the problem. I mean, I've been saying for two for the past at least two years that I thought Robinson was going to take a step forward, and to me, he really hasn't. And that's concerning because right now Kansas City is going to need him. Yeah, and I, I do. I do like what McCall Harmon brings. I like his speed. I like his ability to get in and out of breaks, but he's going to take time to learn this offense. So I think you're exactly right on the Tyree kill comparison to year one. Uh, I think that's the the role that they would love for him to be able to play, but I don't know that he's going to be able to, because I'm sorry, I don't trust Gary Dieter to be your number three or number four wide receiver. And I mean, Byron Pringle, if he can stay healthy, I guess maybe, uh, but I, that's a huge step up to me too. Pringle's the guy. I mean, that's the one that with this group that it really hinges upon because you're right. I mean, you know, with Dieter and Kemp, 
they've both been around, and neither one of them have been able to prove that, just like Robinson, that they're that guy that can punch through and, and be a starter. Doesn't mean they can't, but they just haven't done it yet. Pringle, he's got he's got more of an X factor to him because he he's got the size, he's got the speed, he's got the skills. Um, it's just a matter of getting healthy again. And if he's healthy, if he's a hundred percent, you know, he would have had without the age issues and some of the baggage issues from K State, he would have been a, a a good draft pick last season. So there's a lot of upside there. So to me, he he really is an X factor. And if the Chiefs don't go out and add some veteran depth, I think it's because they really do like what they got in Pringle. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. You look at Pringle, and I do think he can play a role in this uh, offense. But, you know, is he going to be the guy that can step in and produce? Because, honestly, you don't necessarily need a superstar wide receiver if, if Watkins can stay healthy. And from all accounts that I've heard, at least, at least Peter Schrager from uh, GMFB has said that Watkins is in the best shape of his career. I'm not sure where he heard that from. Um, but, you know, if he can stay healthy, I think he has superstar potential. Uh, the question is, is who's going to be your number two? Because to me, for Mahomes to get anywhere near 5,000 yards, he's going to have to have two wide receivers that are close to a thousand. Well, and I mean, and that's, you know, well, who's your number two receiver is really kind of a question of maybe who's your number three and your number four receiver. Because, you know, hey, you know, Travis Kelsey, if he's healthy, he's going to have a thousand plus. You're hoping if Watkins is healthy, he's got a thousand plus. Uh, I think there's a pretty good chance that even if it's a, still a running back by committee approach that you can have maybe not a thousand yards, but maybe close to that from, you know, a series of backs out of the backfield. Uh, I think it's one of the reasons why they, they like Darwin Thompson. They like his ability to, to be able to split out and create some mismatches and, you know, you, hey, you get a couple hundred yards here and there from your guys out of the backfield, and that adds up in a hurry. So now maybe you are looking for just some receivers that if, if they can give you 500 yards, a couple of guys, you, you know, you're you're okay there. And if you could get that kind of production from Pringle and Hardman in this year, I, I don't think there'd be any problems with this offense. Yeah. No, and that and that's a great point. And the, the question that you kind of – bring me to is, yeah, you have Travis Kelsey, but who else do you have? Because you look at, and I'm not necessarily talking about wide receiver at this point, I'm talking about tight ends, because you look at who they have, and Demetrius Harris is gone, and a lot of people are happy about that, but at the same time, that leaves the cover pretty bare. Yeah, you know, I, I've been harping on this for a while. I, I, I think that the the single most indispensable player on offense for the Chiefs outside of Patrick Mahomes, it's Travis Kelsey. Because that's the one player that, that affects everything else. And if you need any further proof, go back and look at that, that playoff game against Tennessee. You have Travis Kelsey in the second half. Chiefs win that game. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Yep. And you take out Travis Kelsey out of this offense for any significant period of time. And you've got, you got nothing to back it up. I mean, this offense changes dramatically. Um, yeah. Does, is it less potent without Tyreek Hill? Was it less potent without Kareem Hunt, yeah, it was, but it was it was it was a good facsimile. But you take out Travis Kelsey, I mean, that he's the guy that everything runs through. That's that's the hallmark of an Andy Reid offense. Always runs through the tight end. And if you don't have the tight end, and and right now, I mean, just looking at the the body of work, no, I mean, there's not that tight end that that you can point to and say, yeah, this guy can get up and 
is there anyone that you feel comfortable with saying that they could give you 50 catches for 800 yards? I don't think so. Um, yeah, uh, Blake Bell, I'm sorry, no. <laughs> I, I mean, well, it's because he hasn't done it. I mean, yeah, I mean, both those guys are even veteran guys, but they've never done that. Right. So I don't think you can ask him to do that. And and the crazy thing is, is you're sitting here looking at, we're sitting here looking at this position a month, almost a month removed right now from the NFL draft in a draft that was loaded at tight end. And they didn't make a move. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that was a little bit of you know, just obviously how they decided to go in the draft and, and when and where. If they'd had, I, I think, a fourth round pick, that's that was probably where the real value for a tight end was. So when you don't, when you move around and you don't have that anymore, that probably there alone really impacted it. But yeah, that was the one position I was surprised that they didn't come out of, of the draft with someone. Now they've, they've got some young talent. I mean, they've got some guys that they do like, but again, it's, it's nobody that even with their college careers, you look at it and you say that the production is there to be anything, you know, close to a facsimile of Travis Kelsey. Right. So I have to ask the question because Ryan and I have talked about this a little bit and I don't think it's going to happen, um, especially with the contract demands, it sounds like. Uh, any chance that you see Kansas City making a move for somebody like Kyle Rudolph or another tight end? I, I, I don't. I mean, I think, I feel like that's kind of deal that if it was going to get done, it, it would have been done before the draft. Yep. Um, I, it, it could still happen, but I mean, to me, a marquee deal like that, I I think something would have to change, like, you know, that the Chiefs don't feel like Kelsey's ankle is going to be 100% for some reason or that they're worried about a backslide. Um, I think that would have to, to change before you get the impetus for a deal like that. You know, and the biggest, the bigger question right now or the bigger concern for me is, is that uh, Kelsey's been very healthy his entire career for the most part. Uh, but all it takes is one wrong hit and one wrong step, and uh, that is a completely different offense. And you lose Travis Kelsey, uh, the drop-off to your second tight end is so huge. I just don't know how they're going to get past it. And that's really my biggest concern on the offensive side because, you know, wide receiver, you have a guy in McCole Hardman who can try to step in for Tyreek Hill. Offensive line, I think they've got depth there. Um, obviously, you know, I, I hate saying this, but if Patrick Mahomes, something happened to Mahomes for a game or two, I would feel at least semi-comfortable with Chad Haney stepping in. Uh, running back, I think they're fine, but tight end, I just don't see it. No, I mean, it, it's not there. And like I, like I said, I mean, they've got some, they've got some athletes there and, you know, they've got some intriguing prospects. I mean, you know, and, and people are going to talk about John Lovett, the quarterback. That's a, he's a really interesting developmental player, but that, that's the key is developmental. I think you're really asking if you're expecting him to be a, you know, a huge impact player in year one. I, I think that's a big ask. Right. But, you know, hey, is, is he, is he a guy to take a flyer on because maybe he can develop into a, a very good player? Absolutely. But, uh, you know, even like, a you know, la Demetrius Harris. He, <clears throat> yeah. I, I, <laughs> I think you're hoping that there's maybe a little bit more on the upside of the development there, but. Yeah, I know. I just, you know, I had to, I had to hear what you had to say on that one. Yeah. I mean, it, like I said, I, I feel like they've got some athletes there. Uh, but I don't think that we've really, we've seen anybody at any point in their career, like I said, college or NFL that gives you the production that says, yeah, this guy can go out and be a reliable number two and can keep the show going if something happens to Kelsey. I, I don't see that player there right now. Yeah. 
Well, and you know, you look at it from my angle and you're right on the, on the tight end portion of it. And really, I guess the next question becomes is, you know, how is this going to affect how not even having a tight end two that you can throw out there that's going to be, you know, semi reliable or, or whatever you want to call Harris from last year, that's going to hurt the offense as well. Um, and that's something they got to get figured out. Well, they've, they've got to figure it out. But then again, you know, I, I look at it and say, you know what? Andy Reid's known this entire offseason what he's got. True. And, and, you know, I, 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 I feel like even like if we're talking about the Darwin Thompson selection earlier, I feel like a lot of the moves that they made were to try and get some chess pieces. And McCole Hartman, I think, fits that category too. I mean, they, I think they got some pieces that fit specific needs for maybe what Reed thinks they have to do this year. And that's where I think, I think you'd have to, you know, bank on it is that Andy Reed can scheme around it. That even if it's maybe not the conventional lineup that you think of where it's a, a solid one, two receiver, tight end, running back, and that you just, those are your four guys that he knows, you know what? I've got a really good wide receiver and then I've got three or four guys who, who could all do different things well. So I'm just going to spread them around. I'm going to do different things. I've got a couple of running backs that are really good catching the ball out of the backfield. I'm going to split them out. I'm going to try and create some mismatches. And if I can get, you know, guys out of the backfield on linebackers, I'm going to take advantage of that all day long. And, and because Andy Reid's done it before. I mean, sure. he, he has tailored, he, he, I think he's probably better at tailoring his offense to the talent he has than any other coordinator coach in the league. Bar none. Yeah. And what drives me crazy about that, and we can talk about this after break. I need to, we need to take another quick break, but what drives me crazy about that is you sit here and you look at what Reed is able to do on the offensive side. And then you look at how bad the defense schemed around their talent last year and has consistently had consistently done uh, on defense. So, uh, let's take another quick break and we will come back and we will discuss uh, shifting over to the defensive side of the ball. Today's show is brought to you by Untuck It. Dads come in all kinds of shapes and sizes and so should their shirts. Untuck It is a solution that fits just right. No tucking or tailored required. Go to untuckit.com, promo code NBA to get 20% off. To me, when you look at what Andy Reid does, and, and I love the way you put it because it is it is very, very accurate how well he is able to use his players and get them in the right positions for them to succeed. That has been sorely lacking on the defensive unit for years. And the question I have for you is, and I know it's too early to, you know, see players, but do you think that that's going to be something that Spagnuolo is going to be better at? Well, I, I think you're really banking on that because uh, everything that, that the limited things that we've seen so far, and we'll we'll learn a little bit more once we get to, to see a little bit more from OTAs and everything, is that Steve Spagnuolo is going to be head coach of the defense. I mean, that's just how Andy Reid runs things. It's how he is as a coach. It's not that he's not a, a great motivator and a, and a leader of men on the defensive side. But, it, you know, he's got a 20-year track record that he coaches the offense, he coaches it very well, and he tries to build the, the best defensive staff that he can to handle that because it's not his his bail, it's not his wheelhouse, it's not what he does. So he's got a coach that he trusts, he's got a coach that that feels like they can play complementary football to, to do the things that, that will work well with what they're trying to do offensively, 
So, I mean, but you're putting a lot of trust in the Steve Spagnuolo. That's really what it was. And and Andy Reid did it. He put a lot of trust in the Bob Sutton. And that didn't always work out. So you're crossing your fingers to a little bit that all the changes that they're, they've done are going to be able to uh, let you take a little bit of a leap. But Andy Reid's not going to change his stripes. I mean, he's still going to be the coach that puts a lot of pressure on his defensive coordinator to be the guy that gets everything fixed. Yeah, and I and I can see that, and I think that that's a good thing for him to be able to do. And and I think that in order for Reed to be successful overall as a coach, I think he needs to be able to give the defense to somebody else. And not that I don't think that he can help with defense, but I think that he needs to be focused on. I mean, let's be fair about it. He's really the offensive coordinator. He doesn't have the title, but that's really his job as well. And when you're a head coach and a coordinator at the same time, like he is you need to be able to focus on one side of the ball more than the other. And so I, I really like that he has that guy. And I like the other thing I like is he has that special teams guy in Dave Tobe, who you know he doesn't have to do anything with special teams because Tobe's got it covered. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's an, it's an effective way to arrange your staff if you've got the guys to do it. And you're right. right. Having Dave Tobe there, one of the best in the league, you don't have to worry about it. Um, the key is that you've got to have a defensive coordinator that can handle that, who's basically, you know, a head coach type material. I mean, and, and he had that for many years and, you know, Jim Johnson. I mean, that was his guy. And that was, you know, when, when Andy Reid was at his best was when he had a defensive coordinator like that. And, and Steve Spagnuolo's got that potential. I mean, Reid sees that. Reid sees him as being that kind of guy. And it's going to be a different relationship between him and, and, and Spags because they, they do go back a long ways. They are friends. They're close. And, and not to say that he didn't have that kind of relationship with Sutton, but it is different. I mean, it's, these guys know each other extremely well. And as a result, Reed's got a lot of trust in Spagnolo well, and he's going to put a lot on him, but I mean, it's, it's, it's an effective strategy if it works. Right. He, and he knew what he was getting when he brought him in here. Um, one thing I have to ask you, and since I haven't talked to you, I, I don't know your thoughts on this. Um, any of the UDFAs that are, that stick out to you and, um, do you think it's a realistic possibility or do you, were you surprised that they brought in a punter? I was, I thought it was curious. Um, you know, and, and maybe some of that is just uh, to have somebody who comes in who can take a little bit of the load off of, of Cole quit during the OTAs and, and training camp. Um, it can also be a, you know, hey, a developmental project. Maybe it's because you, you got to keep an eye on the fact that Colquitt's not going to be punting forever. Right. So, but trying to find his, his replacement isn't a bad idea. Um, yeah. I mean, but I, I did. I, I thought it was kind of curious because it doesn't seem like you're with Colquitt that you're necessarily bringing somebody in to compete with him for this year. Um, but we well, wouldn't you know. think so, but, but they've never brought in a punter before. I mean, they've, they've got it. They've had a guy come in for a rookie minicamp. Yeah, uh, but that's all they've really done. I don't remember them ever bringing in a punter while Colquitt's been here. And, and that's the like I said, that's that's the way I looked at it was you know that maybe they're looking at this guy as as a developmental project that maybe he's somebody who could take over in, in, a, in a year or two. Um, but in the meantime, hey, if we're going to have somebody that's in, in, around that's going to take the load off of of Colquitt's leg, let's let it be somebody that that can do the job, and it's not just somebody that you're bringing in. Um, it's a guy that, you know, hey, was a priority free agent and he spent some money on, so he should be good. Well, that was uh, the thing that really surprised me about it was they actually spent some money. It wasn't that 
and I understand in the rea- in all reality, it was a little bit of money. It wasn't a lot uh, when you're talking about NFL contracts and whatnot. But uh, to go spend that money on a punter really said something to me. I guess is really where I'm going with that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not it wasn't big money to the Chiefs. It is big money to the punter <laughs> right. for for a guy like that. So it makes well, sense. It's, and it's big money that you can't spend elsewhere and, and try to get another priority free agent that you really want. Yeah, but and like I said, but you know, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not that much money for the Chiefs. I mean, it's true. as far as as far as their salary cap goes, it's minuscule. Yeah, I mean, it does say, you know, hey, we're going to get this guy instead of maybe the sixth wide receiver that we like, or maybe the second running back that we like. Right. Um, but like I said, I mean, it, and for the punter, you know, sometimes you'd say, well, hey, wait a minute, maybe this, doesn't this guy want to be in a position where it's a job that he can compete for? Not necessarily, because with special teams players, I mean, and, and specialists, look at Harrison Butker. Uh, he goes into a Carolina camp where it didn't seem like necessarily he could compete for that job. He impresses and, and finds a job somewhere else. Right. Um, and for for Fox to be able to come in here and to work with Dave Tobe, I mean, that's a dream situation for, I think, a guy like that. Well, and not only to work with Dave Tobe, but to be able to work with really, too. Well, yeah, Colquitt, and to be able to, in my opinion, I think the other thing that would be really positive about that is he's going to be able to step into a situation where if they really brought him in to take a load off Colquitt, He's going to get a lot of chance to punt. Yeah, I mean, Colquitt doesn't. Colquitt doesn't have to go out there and, and play in the preseason games. Right. He doesn't. He doesn't need that practice. Doesn't so, need that. Doesn't need to be wasting his leg in the you know middle of July and St. Joe. No. Well, but to be fair, I mean, you, you got to look at Colquitt's situation. I mean, he barely punted last year, so I think you know they kind of saved his leg last year too. There's always work that those guys. David, for the, for the specialists, they do more work on the practice field than almost, I mean, as far as just, a, you know, their part of their game versus what the other players do, they do more work on the practice field than, as a percentage wise, than the other guys do, as, you know, compared to what they do in games. No, and I understand that. And, and I'm not trying to take anything away from the specialists. I think that's a fantastic thing for all of them. Uh, and, you know, I've been there at training camp and watched them do what they do, and, and I know I'm not able to watch the actual practices, but uh, I will say this. It's going to be interesting. Uh, I, I take it you heard uh, Patrick Mahomes says he thinks he can throw the ball 100 yards in uh, Azteca. Uh, I did hear that. I I think that's interesting math, but, you know, he's hey. Well, I'm curious how far Colquitt can punt the ball. You know, yeah, I had this argument on Twitter last year about who can, who, what, what can go further, you know, Patrick Mahomes throwing or Harrison Butker kicking. I still think I'm going to take Butker. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, think you he, know, I think well, you'd lose that one, but I could be wrong. Well, what Mahomes said he threw 83 in Denver and that's why he thinks he can get to a hundred in, in Mexico City. Yeah. Butker puts it in, he can, he can, he, I've seen him put that ball into the front row, first row of the seats at Arrowhead. That's, that's more than 83. It's true. Yeah, I am curious about that because he has the leg, but they don't seem to have him use it near as much. Uh, Tobe is one of those guys who likes to try to actually uh, keep you short of the 25, and I'm kind of surprised by that a little bit. Yeah, you know, well, and that's a read thing too. I mean, they just, even though they've got a guy that can hit long field goals, they they just don't see the the risk benefit to that sometimes. Um, and I, and I get that to a degree, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, 
maybe it's a little bit too of a, was the situations because look at the last two years. I mean, the opportunities that Butker got last year were completely different than the opportunities he got in, in 2018. It's just, a, it's a, it's a matter of your offense and what it can do. True. Well, and I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about on kickoffs, uh, where oh, yeah. Yeah. you would think that they would kick it out of the end zone every time because Butker has a leg to do it and they haven't been. No, uh, and, that, and that's because, yeah, I mean, that's Tobe, a coverage issue. Tobe truly believes that his, his teams can always net more yards covering a kick than putting it through the end zone. Nope, and I understand and, that. And he feels like if you can't, then you failed. Yeah. Well, and that's why he is where he is, because he's one of the best special teams coaches in the NFL. Matt, thank you very much. Really do appreciate you coming on. Uh, do you have any last parting thoughts you want to pass on? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, you, we, we briefly were talking about the undrafted free agents. Um, the guys oh, I'm yeah. most in- interested in seeing further, um, the, the receivers look really good. And it'll be interesting to see if that continues. Uh, especially once you get to camp, then when you start hitting and everything. But uh, I thought um, Jamal Custis, Felton Davis, um, Rashard Davis, he's a little bit older, but he looked good too. Cody Thompson. Um, I thought the entire group looked really sharp. So well, I'm, Custis I'm, is a big boy, right? Custis is pretty good size. I, yeah, what, 6'5"? So yeah. he's got some He's got some good height. I mean, if, if that's that could be a guy that makes the team and gives you another option there. Um, that was really interesting that, you know, bringing in Kyle Shermer and giving him a little bit of a priority free agent deal. Um, he, he looked interesting, but you know, is, is that a, is that a race between him and Chase Litton for the third job? Maybe. Uh, we'll see. Um, corners I thought were intriguing. Do you if think only, only because quick, I just have to ask, since you had talked about QB, do you think that they go with five QBs to training camp? I know they have before. <sighs> I think there's a pretty good chance. Um, I know I'm obviously, obviously they need at least four. I mean, that's right. just kind of the, the general rule for being able to manage the arms and everything. Right. It wouldn't, it would not surprise me at all if they, if they went, if they okay. went with five. Yeah. I just was curious because usually they go with four, but I was just curious if you thought, uh, sorry, you were talking about CBs. Yeah. And just the secondary, um, you know, Juan Thornhill looked fantastic at the rookie meeting camp. So I'm really interested to see more of him. Uh, the corners I thought were curious because. Um, some of the guys like Mark Fields that were a bigger name, maybe priority free agents, I didn't think looked as sharp in, in minicamp, but a guy like Jalen Burrell from New Mexico, he looked really good. And I think one of those guys, I think one of those undrafted free agents in, in the secondary is going to make this team. It's just a matter of who it's going to be. Yeah, and that's interesting because Ryan and I were actually talking about this, I think, on I mean, maybe earlier this week, but I thought it was on Wednesday's show. Um, you look at the depth of the CBs and – you know, you get to Ward as your third CB, and then you kind of have question marks. Um, you know, Felton, uh, I can't remember, was he a fifth or sixth round pick? I think he's sixth. Yeah. But, you know, he's not guaranteed a roster spot because he was a sixth round pick. Draymond right. Smith isn't guaranteed a roster spot. He was a fifth round pick last year. Um, I think Smith sticks because of his, because of his returnability, but they have other guys that can do that this year as well. So corners are going to be very interesting because you got to find somebody. I mean, do you think that they make a move? Do you think that they could possibly be looking to make a move? I think you'd have to be. I mean, I I think you you got to keep looking out there and seeing what's available, and that's just what Brad Veach does. I mean, right. and he did it last year. I mean, he was not afraid to to, to decide that David Amerson experience wasn't going to work and and moved on. Um, he, he'll he'll continue to take shots at that position. I Which mean, I really impressed me about that. To be honest, because he. 
he took a flyer on Emerson thinking it was going to be a good deal and he realized it wasn't pretty quick and he moved on. That was a good sign to see. Um, I have to bring up this question. Reggie Ragland, do you think that the trade for Darren Lee affects him? I'm, I'm not entirely sure yet. Um, it, it does, I mean, I, I think it's a move they had to make for depth because they, there was just no depth there. Um, I, I think they were really one injury away from that linebacker group of really being in some dire straits. So that does give them that, you know, flexibility now. I mean, they've, they've got some room. I think it's a player that can come in and, and help them in the transition with the defense a little bit too. But, um, yeah, I mean, it adds to the competition. Absolutely. So, and that was something that, Outside of Hitchens, you know, I think they were really lacking, you know, as far as some, you know, veteran depth experience, even with well, the addition it, of Wilson and, you know, some it, other things. I mean, outside of Hitchens, I don't think that any job is sewed up in that linebacker. And I'm not so sure Hitchens' job is, is sewed up at, at uh, the um, Will position. I still think he's going to end up playing Mike. You know what? I've, I've, I've heard people make the argument that he can, is better at all three different spots. And, 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 and the Mike thing is probably more reality because he's probably going to end up playing that role when they do go to the sub packages. And, you know, and, and that really raises the, you know, uh, because I think with the way that this lineup is constituted right now, not sure Reggie Ragland's the guy that's out there with two linebackers. So how much, you know, will he truly play this year, even if he is considered a starter? Well, and I don't know that he's going to end up being considered a starter by the end of training camp. Uh, I think that Wilson probably maybe gets a start at, at the Sam and Hitchens moves to Mike and maybe you have O'Daniel as your will, or maybe you have Lee as your will. Uh, I just think that it's, you're going to be looking elsewhere. And, and Ryan, and I talked about this in depth a little bit about the linebackers and then they went and traded for Darren Lee. So, uh, you know, we tried talking about CBs, but they didn't, haven't made a move for that yet. Um, but it's really interesting because you look at, uh, the, the depth at, at linebacker and you're right. There's a lot of question marks there. And to me, my biggest question with Reggie Ragland is still going to be, can he get to a 15 yard drop and be effective? Because that's going to be necessary at points during the season. And if he can't be that guy, then you can't have him playing there. Yeah. And I mean, Obviously you gotta have some questions about him in a four three because it, it didn't work out in Buffalo. Um but you're right, we also haven't we still have not truly seen a healthy Reggie Ragland. It's true. You know? I mean that's that's the deal. I mean last year he was definitely nowhere close to a hundred percent the entire season. And and really you go back to the twenty eighteen, I mean, he he was still working his way back. I mean, it was not there the full season. So yeah, I mean it, this, I mean, this is the make or break year for Reggie Ragland, absolutely, because he's got to be able to be healthy well, going to camp and have a full season inning. If he doesn't, that's it's not going to work out. Well, it may not work out in Kansas City regardless, because I just don't know that he fits the defense personally. Uh, and I like the guy; I, I really like what he brought in. I mean, I remember you and Ryan and I were sitting in the stands watching uh, yes. <laughs> when Ragland actually took the first snaps with the first team defense. Yeah, made and, that, made that first start against Denver. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a, it was a uh, contest between me and you to see who could tweet it out the fastest. <laughs> yes. We were. And I can't remember who won. Trying to get the but, fast fingers. I yeah. can't remember either. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and you know, you, you look at that situation and I think he played great in a, in a three, four. I just don't know that he has the ability to play that, that role in a four, three. Uh, and, so we'll see how that shakes out. And, you know, and, and you get, you know, to the personality part of it. He is a good dude. He, he really is. And yeah, he is he's well liked on that team. 
and I don't, and I'm not trying to take anything away from the personality. I'm just, I'm just talking about playability and his ability to make the necessary plays that, that that position is going to entail. I just don't know that he has the speed for, uh, defending that middle half of the field or that middle back end of the field uh, at times, because that's going to be something you have to do in a 4-3. Uh, it's not going to be something you have to do all the time, but it is going to be something that you have to be able to do. So yeah, he's, he's got to do it and he's got to, he's got to protect that knee too. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. We really do appreciate it. And uh, we will be back tomorrow. Seth is going to have his mailbag, as always, on Friday. So you guys enjoy that. And Ryan, uh, maybe Mr. Sicko will be back on on Monday. We will see. Uh, but I will definitely be here. And, Matt, thank you so much for coming on again. And we will talk to you next week. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Chiefs. Check out my work at RGR Football on YouTube, Chris's work on LockedOnChiefs.com, and all of Seth's film analysis at TheAthletic.com. Thanks for listening.